Hello, welcome to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Eversman, and this week we have a special episode celebrating the release of Deep Overstock issue 16, Superheroes. You don't need super hearing, man. Just sit back and enjoy. Let this league of super stories and poems avenge the villainy of boredom. Tonight we will hear work by Nicholas Yadell, Timothy Arthur O'Brien, and Michael Santiago. Our first piece is a public service announcement on behalf of all your heroic friends by Nicholas Yandel. Yandel is a composer who sometimes creates with words instead of sound. In those cases, he usually ends up with fiction and occasionally poetry. Nick works as a bookseller at Powell's Books in Portland, Oregon, where he enjoys being surrounded by a wealth of knowledge as well as working and interacting with creatively stimulating people. He has a website where he displays his creations. It's nicholasyandel.com. That's nicholas, Y-A-N-D-E-L-L.com. Now, here's a public service announcement on behalf of all your heroic friends by Nicholas Yandel. All your heroes will fail you, no matter how super they are. Tremendous strength, endurance, and speed, lapping the limits of human capacity, decisively shattering known possibilities, may not be all it's cracked up to be. If great power comes with great responsibility, are you sure your heroes are up to the task? It's exceedingly stressful dwelling in the shadow of presumed perfection, on the edge of a knife in that arduous role of what you require from them. All your heroes have weaknesses, whether you deny it or not, agonizing in anxiety, increasingly strained, inevitably exposing their inability to become what you've decided they are. In a realm of continuous mounting unreasonable demands, who even needs kryptonite? Falling apart under duress, life-altering decisions in split-second durations, the lingering regret of every botched attempt. All your heroes will burn out like supernovas and falling stars, succumbing to exhaustion and escalating frustration, always just one step away from becoming your villain. When filters lapse and words spill out, or absent-minded actions falling outside the presence of your lofty expectations, who will actually survive the inferno of your disappointment? Desperation can lead to sinister possibilities. Bitterness has power too, at least for a while, devouring anger's energy with no satiation, empty and shriveling up from lack of love and sustenance. All your heroes have failed you, will fail you, are failing you now, whether you know it or not, or don't want to hear it, or don't believe it. Your heroes will always fall short, so maybe give them a break. We're all living complicated missions to this planet, to its people, heroes and villains and all those under that graphic blue sky. We long for acceptance, strive to be valued, including those up there, tired of their towers, longing to be seen as simply human again. Next, we will hear I'm a Superstar and Super High, but Superhero by Timothy Arliss O'Brien. 
Brian is an interdisciplinary artist in music composition, writing, and visual arts. His goal is to connect people to accessible new music that showcases virtuosic abilities without losing touch of authentic emotions. He also showcases his psychedelic makeup skills as the phenomenal drag queen, Tabitha Acids. Check out more of his writing and his full discography at his website, timothyarlissobrien.com. That's Timothy, A-R-L-I-S-S, O'Brien, with an E, dot com. First, here's I'm a Superstar and Super High, but Superhero, by Timothy Arliss O'Brien. I'm a superstar and super high, but superhero by Timothy Arliss O'Brien. Where is my hero? Nothing is worse than when there isn't a hero to rush in and fix everything. Me, cast as the damsel in distress. Seen, a tragic, distressing event where I need rescuing. The knight in shining armor, missing. Refusing to show up for work, skies full of beacons and distress symbols. Missing in action and nowhere to be found. I hope I'm not being too redundant here, but I don't know how else to ask for help. Do I take out a help wanted ad in the paper? Do I write a strongly worded email to my elected officials? Maybe all the heroes have heard there is a war on and they are fighting to upkeep democracy and freedom. You know, it's so terrible. My favorite strip club moved to a new venue and there isn't a good view of the sausages from every seat in the house like there used to be. And I'm almost out of joints to smoke. I wish someone could save me. Am I the superhero? It's true. I'm supposed to save the world. But I don't know if I can. I don't even think I believe in superheroes. No one has ever been there for me when I've needed rescuing. And holy fuck have I needed to be rescued before. One time, a Tinder date went wrong, and I was too stoned to find the front door. So I had to exist in misery for almost six hours. Another time, a tornado was impending and bigger than I had ever seen. And guess who was right in the direct path? Me and my kitten. Then there was a time I realized I was in a cult. After I'd cut off all my family and friends, and I had no clue who to ask for help. Maybe it's time I call myself, lift the boulder off me, and on my cape, and fly me and escape to freedom, to better waters, utopia and paradise. A one-way ticket maybe only I can give myself. Try it with me. Let's be rescuers. Let's be rescued. And to end tonight's reading is That Invincible Bastard by Michael Santiago. 
Michael Santiago is a serial expat and traveler and writer of all kinds. Originally from New York City and later relocating to Rome in 2016 and Nanjing, China in 2018, he enjoys the finer things in life like walks on the beach, existential conversations, and swapping murder mystery ideas. Keen on exploring themes of humanity with a fictitious context and an inspiring author. Now, here's That Invincible Bastard by Michael Santiago. That Invincible Bastard by Michael Santiago. The resounding, deafening cries rattled the interior panels within the cylindrical titanium rotunda. Screams emanated through the adjacent halls while blinding rays of teal light flooded the structure. The temperature dropped and increased without notice and the entire floor reverberated as the screaming ensued, heightening in pitch. Such was the routine for Logan, former hero and figurehead of the Vindication. Across the room, a tempered glass box elevated 40 feet off the ground housed the control room for the central dome. Inside, lab coats operated panels intended to quell the trapped titan. Head Chief Monroe, the overseer, pressed a large flat button to initiate a loudspeaker inside the dome and softly stated, Do you understand the composition of the human body, Logan? An intricate interwoven network of fibrous tissue confining muscle to bone and bone to bone. The myocardium beating and pulsing blood, delivering oxygen the vital nutrients to every intentionally placed organ with the cerebrum firing synapses at unfathomable velocity. As Monroe continued to speak, Logan sat up and fixed his attention, gazing upon the glass box with intensity. His feet planted firmly on the glossed marble tile. He stared at Monroe with utter hatred and the vibrant teal hue in his eyes grew brighter. An enormous shockwave rattled the interior as he began screaming rippling the panels across the ceiling. And then, launching a teal beam from his eyes aimed directly at Monroe, he grew angrier, yet to no avail, the barricaded encasement remained intact against his calamitous tantrum. Now imagine a god walking among such delicate light forms, fragile forms. A whisper would be enough to decimate organic life into a pile of viscous goo. A single twitch capable of obliterating cities. A mere mental breakdown is enough to disrupt the forces which adhere to natural law. Absolute decimation. Human extinction. All within your grasp, Atlas. If you so willed it. Monroe stated. Rage compounded and conflated within Logan as he recalled his moniker, Atlas. Aware his ocular photon blast could not crack the structure, he began pounding his hands impetuously onto the marble floor. Each thud rippled and splintered the surface, yet titanium sheathed the entire dome. Then he placed each hand onto the ground and began to fluctuate the temperature from scorching 1800 degrees Fahrenheit to a negative 100 degrees below zero. Neither range was enough to melt or shatter the prison. The scope of his ability was a spectacle on display with every show of power solidifying the position of Monroe's stranglehold. Once more he spoke, and as the world cheered and applauded, your arrival, your ego proliferated. The world embraced you for the nobility you masqueraded, 
not for the calloused hero antics that marginalized you from the rest of your team. However, those who inhibit logic knew something like you could not be contained. That it was simply time abiding our true nature. You do remember your true nature, Atlas. Sapped and frustrated, Logan sat onto the floor, locking a steely-eyed leer with Monroe. It was Tuesday. A gaggle of patrons embraced you and your vindication. Do you even remember them? Those you once called friends, he said. As Logan placed his head on his forearm, he spoke. This parade of power you berate me is no different than the one of which you are about to speak, you insignificant peon. Yes, I remember that little show and those sycophants. Care to tell? Then Ro asked. Rosenberg, calling upon us one by one from behind a curtain like a band of circus freaks, showboating us. So, yes, I remember that day well along with those super fucks, Logan shouted. Can you describe this day to me, Atlas? He inquired. Shifting his gaze back to Monroe, he stood up and began to speak. We had just located a white supremacist group who was responsible for the bombings of several black churches on the south side of Chicago. The formerly living Mayor Rosenberg threw his little parade to celebrate what the Vindication had done to save the city. One by one, we marched on stage to make our required appearance when shit like this happened. Starchild, Adam of Dawn, Credence, War Siren, and Serpentine were there. But that band of stupid fucks never pulled their weight. Is that why you killed them that day too? Because you felt you were carrying the team single-handedly? Monroe provoked. Is this a joke? Rosenberg set up these terrorist events to pull votes. Oh, and that little ordeal at the church. Well, I killed everyone there. By myself. If you want the real story, Starchild was banging War Siren in the alley outside the church. Credence was busy marketing himself on social media, and Adam at dawn and Serpentine could not shut up about the results of Wimbledon. I made arguing over tennis went on the job. I took out everyone in that church, alone. Logan uttered. And that was enough to massacre them in front of a relished crowd of supporters, Monroe prodded. Logan grew increasingly furious and yelled. War Siren was my fucking girlfriend, and Starchild was my best friend. Both betrayed me, so yes, I lasered them in half in front of the entire crowd. Credence was a pompous, superficial flatterer who never did a single heroic thing, yet took all the credit for my actions. Adam of Dawn had the most obnoxious ability to rearrange atomic structures only at dawn. What kind of power limits you to a single time of the day? Also, Serpentine was, what, 2,000 years old? It was her time. Aside from that, they were scheming, figuring out how to kill me, as they were terrified of my abilities. Oh, and before I forget, I was Rosenberg's puppet, so I had enough and I flexed my abilities a little. The crowd was an accident. 
They were collateral damage. They shouldn't have even been there. This is how you justify your narcissism. The real equipped inabilities of those around you. Blaming others for the actions that transpired by your hand. Monroe questioned. Don't you. Don't you dare label me that. She used to project that same thing onto me. But I was just a child. Logan yelled. Who are you referring to? Monroe asked. As Logan's gaze shifted downward, a glint of remorse compounded with sadness skewed the maniacal, frenetic state by which he was consumed, dropping his arms to his waist and focusing on the floor. A tear plummeted to the titanium surface. He began to reflect on the questions asked, forcing them to look within and dial back to the moments defining his upbringing. Envisioning his youth, he recalled the myriad of abuse climbing his mother doled out. You good for nothing, little shit. Get over here. I told you that you cannot just say whatever you wanted. This is my house, and I demand respect. You'll be given to me one way or another, or so help me God. His mother screamed. The nude, adolescent Logan was kneeling on a bed of raw rice with the pressure of the grains piercing his skin. Weeping silently, the cruelty exerted was unequivocal to his action, yet she only focused on raw rage. It satiated her agony with an unbroken cycle of abuse. She did not offer a reprieve for the young boy. Punishment in place of compassionate discourse formed the basis of his youth. Now get up! Put on your clothes and the next time you're disrespectful... Oh, it'll be worse, she shouted. Clasping the ground, he pushed himself up as his knees were embedded with rice. A bloody trail of crimson despair followed Logan to his bed, and as he sat down, he wept in solitude, naked and afraid. These tears were not due to the pain inflicted upon him, but for the person his mother was. Climbing shattered, cemented ideals of how a true mother should be. But Logan still tried to justify the actions hurled towards him. His internal dialogue convinced him it was just and deserving that he was exactly what his mother told him he was. The perpetuated anguish passed through the ages with Logan as the passenger of her pain. Before he could pull every grain from the wounds they formed, his mother yelled, This rice and this pity party trail you leave isn't going to clean itself. Siding on his undergarments and grabbing a bag rag with dried blood, he began to clean the scarlet drops from the hardwood floor. Sweeping up the rice, he glanced at his mother as she spoke to herself aloud, regurgitating religious passages and further demeaning her offspring. Pacing back and forth, gripping a crucifix around her neck, she muttered, God, why did you give me a girl masquerading as a boy? He's lazy, disrespectful, useless, and acts like he's the one in charge. And when I get mad, I'm the bad mother. I'm tired of having to deal with such a disrespectful child. Logan, Logan, calm down. Monroe's voice echoed. Once more, a teal blue hue emanated from his eyes as he began slamming his head into the titanium cell walls. If it were not for her, I would be this fucked up. I didn't mean to kill anyone I wanted to lead. Be a hero. 
but I became exactly what she told me I was. Just never stopped. Until one day, it did. Logan replied, smashing his skull against the interior, a flood of memories verbally poured out. He offered vague mentions of his abuse, aloud as he said, All of the time she berated me. She told me I was a girl because I did not carry my weight in the house like a man. She would then tell me to stop acting like a big tough man when I was silent. The back and forth, forcing used bars of soap and jalapenos down my throat when I spoke against her abuse. Then she threw my recently deceased pet into the trash instead of burying it with me. The older I got, the more calloused I became until she threw me against the wall so hard my spine cracked. Which was the first time I realized I was more than just a helpless child. Is this when Atlas emerged? When she threw you? And Roe questioned. Pulling back, he offered a single nod and said, Yes. I picked myself back up and looked right in her eyes as I scorched concaves through each eye socket. The years of anguish manifested into awe, unrelenting power. Atlas, Logan, you decimated the entire city, murdered your comrades, exerted godlike power onto innocent bystanders who'd offered you nothing but praise. This travesty cannot be misconstrued as a trauma response. You were a herald who wielded unfathomable big capabilities which instilled terror. You can't be allowed to do whatever you will, nor can you continue walking among us to commit such an act again. Monroe stated. Monroe backed from the panel and offered a stern nod to a man sitting at a switchboard who then proceeded to push a series of buttons in sequence. The titanium encasement was not a prison. It was a death chamber. Logan's Iron Maiden. Toxic fumes filled, spilled through a vent adjacent to his bed, and then he placed his hands onto the floor as rage consumed the unruly hero. The temperature rose vigorously, eventually exceeding his initial limit of 1,800 degrees. The cell began to liquefy around him, and then he howled as the temperature output now surpassed the sun. Through the thick black plumes, globs of boiled titanium pooled around his feet. Inching each step forward, he raised his left fist and catapulted through the glass box above the room. Looking at the lab coats drenched in fear, he said, did you think you could kill me? Shame. You must not have given my dossier a thorough read. I cannot be killed. I'm invincible. His hollow gaze evoked dread as he demanded Monroe's presence. Terror, I, terror paralyzed the lab coats as not a single word was muttered. Do you think this is a fucking game? Where is he? Logan demanded. Logan picked up one of the lab coats by the base of his skull and applied an insignificant amount of pressure, which was enough to combust the man's head. Splattering fragments of skull and cerebral goo crossed the room. Now, will you tell me where he is? Logan demanded. 
The invincive titan gleamed upon every lab coat. His gaze jutted as the teal hue in his eyes began gleaming. Exerting his ocular blast, he tore flesh from sinew and ravaged the interior of the control room. A crimson brandishing coated the space. He took a few hollow steps forward and noticed a dossier on an adjacent console. Grabbing the file, he read to himself, Project Lapidus, the deity destroyer. As he perused the document, he noticed an antiquated black and white photo dated 1967. In the image, a chisel, muscle-bound man was clasping the hands of what appeared to be his mother climbing, as they were both standing next to Monroe. They appeared gleeful as if it was apparent that climbing was pregnant. Behind them, old Greek ruins littered the background. Unable to comprehend the imagery, he dazed upon the dossier once more and said, I'm going to find you, Dad. And you're going to tell me everything. This concludes episode one of our special event celebrating the release of our 16th issue of Deep Overstock Superheroes. You've been listening to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. Join us again next week and don't forget to submit to our next issue, Beekeeping. Did you think it could be anything else? Yes, beekeeping, my friends, before May 31st. Visit deepoverstock.com slash submissions for specific guidelines.